0: Heidi Harris. Welcome to the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can subscribe any place you get podcasts or check them out at HeidiHarris.com where they're archived. I also do a live radio show five days a week, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in Las Vegas on 670 AM KMZQ. My guest today is a woman I recently became aware of. Her name is Nicole Hutchison. She was convicted of a DUI death and sent to prison in Texas. And over the course of her imprisonment, she realized there was a huge problem with what was happening with incarcerated people. And more importantly, what happens to them after they get out of jail, because 95% of people in jail right now are going to be out again. She has turned her life around. Um, she owns her stuff. And I really wanted to talk to her. So I'm glad to have her here. welcome Nicole Hutchison to the Heidi Hair show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me, Heidi. How are you
0: doing? I'm doing great. You know what I love about you, and I really, you came to my attention on Twitter. I don't know how it was, but you posted something, and I saw it on Twitter, and I thought, wow, that's really cool, and I looked into what you were doing, and and you're somebody who's, you've owned your stuff. You know, you've been through some stuff in your life. You totally owned it, and we'll get to that in a second, but, but I respect that so much, and it caught my attention, and, it, you know, people were trashing you, but you're still just going, hey, listen, this is what I did. I own this, but this is what I'm doing now. And isn't that the truth for all of us?
1: Absolutely. You know, there, there has to be accountability there. And, and so, yeah, you're right. I, I've had a, quite a bit of a, a reaction. You know, most of it has been positive, uh, fortunately. But, um, you know, there has been some of that reaction there, which is understandable, um, considering you know what took place but you know a bottom line is i i have put my story out there and and what happened so that people can see you know number 1 this can happen to you um it happened to me and here is how it happened and you know kind of here's what led up to it and that's why i go on mediums such as twitter and and facebook and i do tell my story and i i am authentic and put it out there so that um you know people see the the whole narrative they see everything that led to it and hopefully can relate to it um, and make it personal and yeah. in doing so when you you know are authentic and and you tell your truth some people get uncomfortable with it um, you know but a lot of people are out there saying you know hey i i can relate to that and and i know how that feels Um and then secondly just the the frightening aspect of in just an instant you know your life can change and so can someone else's um and in this case even more importantly you know somebody lost their life in the situation and and my life and, and my family as well was completely transformed. But then where's the beauty in that? What can we do with the legacy of that? And right. that's where, you know, I, I had a choice. Um, you know, I fell to my knees, and, and do I fall to my knees with a gun to my head and, and end it all? Or do I fall to my knees and I say, God, lift me up, rise me up out of this, and, and use me. Use this story. And, and how do we change this? And, and how can I help others? And for me, thank God, it was, it was the latter.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important and because there are people who've gone to prison. Now, Chuck Colson is one. My friend John Ponder, you know him, Hope for Prisoners, people yeah. like that. Well, it's not until you really go, get in there sometimes that you realize that there's a whole other world that you would never have known about had you not gone to prison and you found a need. And we'll get to that. Let's go back a little bit. Uh, you were raised, in a, you said, a really good family, and, uh, but you didn't realize until when, when you were a little kid, you didn't realize that you had been, who was your actual bio mom? Yeah. No, I had no idea. You
1: know, I was raised by a, a neurosurgeon. You know, my I thought my you know my father and, and who I still you know he's my father. He raised me, but he was actually my grandfather, okay. and he would adopted me when I was a a, a little baby. And I didn't know any different, and by the time I was, t- I knew I was adopted, but when I was 12, I was told the truth, which was a very critical age, mm-hmm. you know, right in puberty, and um, I'd actually switched schools. I'd been at a private school, and then I switched to a public school, and I was already showing signs of rebellion and some struggling as it was, and, and then I was told that the mother that I had been raised with all this time, I had known I was adopted, but I realized then that who I thought was a sister was actually my biological mother. Um, I have a very complex family. My my husband likes to say my my tree has has more branches in it than anything. But um, so you know, here I find out that now I've got. You know, all these siblings that I thought were siblings are actually aunts and uncles and a biological mother.
0: Wow, that's an interesting thing. We're speaking with Nicole Hutchison. You know, it's interesting, too, because you talk about it being a critical age. I remember finding out, and and I don't want to talk about me, but I remember finding out when I was about 11 that my grandmother had committed suicide. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. until I was told that she died of a Mm -hmm. heart attack or something. And I just remember it really having an impact on me. I never met her. She died when I was a baby, but it had a huge impact on me. That's a really critical age, as you mentioned, to have your entire world, not that you didn't have great parents who loved you and not that those people right. aren't the ones who deserve the roles, the, the title of parent, because they do, uh, no matter who your adoptive parents are, but what a way to just kind of turn your whole world upside down.
1: Well, it is, and that's such a great point. And, you know, one of the things that I learned to kind of dovetail this into one of the things that I do now, but one of the things that I've learned in our belief systems and where they're created, you know, I'm not a therapist, but I've been through enough in my life and been with, through therapy. We create a belief system that starts very very early on, and those those beliefs and the, the traumas and the things that we experience, those stay with us, and they shape and mold us. And And however we handle those, or we don't, as we get older, the behaviors and our emotional responses and the things that we do later are a direct correlation. And I never dealt with those things. I never worked through those, and I just jumped into my adult life and I never worked through those. And I saw this when I went into prison and once I really got, you know, embedded into a tight environment, you know, shoulder to shoulder with all these women. The, the core thing that I saw, the same recurring theme and 95% of the women in their addictions and in the things that led them to prison was they all had this sense of a false belief and a trauma that had happened somewhere earlier in their life that went untreated that then led to addictions. And those things, you know, they pile up and escalate to these things that lead to criminal behaviors or that one aha moment that all of a sudden, you know, lands them in in prison.
0: Your point about how these women are damaged reminds me of many conversations I've had with women who are former uh, prostitutes who try to help women escape the life. And 99.9999% of these women are very damaged, sometimes through sexual abuse, often through sexual abuse, or some other terrible situation that's happened in their lives. And that's what takes them down that path. And wouldn't it be great if we could just go back to when they were, you know, five or six (laughs) and, and turn everything around, right?
1: Yes. Amen. Uh, yes. And, you know, one of the things that we do, I've kind of got seven areas that that we strategically focus on, you know, now with the Rusty Diamond and the mentorship that I do. But one of the things that I went through that was a key thing for me that I I got well and got me healthy prior to me even going into prison when, you know, I hit my knees and, and sought therapy and finally dealt with those things is going through that false false belief. You can literally take a timeline of your life and write it down and say, okay, and walk somebody back through and say, well, let's go through, let's go through your life from zero to two. Do you remember anything from two to four, four to six? And as you start, you see somebody's eyes just get big and go, oh, wait, there, here's what happened, or, oh, wait, here, and and, and they they come to the realization themselves, and they say, right there, that, and I say, well, let's go through that. Let's talk through that. And all of a sudden they go, I'm not a horrible person. I am worthy of love because to your point, 99.9%, what do people want? They want to feel loved. They want that unconditional, no strings attached love. And that's what people want. And at some point along the way, they were made to feel unloved and unworthy. And, And really, once you just fill them with that love, and no, you don't have to do anything in return. No, you don't have to give me that soup. No, you don't have to give me that. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to sit here and pray with you. Or we're just going to talk or come, come join me. Or, hey, let's go down to the chapel, you know, and in the free world and in the world out here. Oh, no, hey, can I help you take those groceries inside? Or, hey, you know, COVID's going on. Can I, can I help do an errand for you? That's what people want. It's just that kindness.
0: That's true. And, and once
1: people realize that, it's, it's, it's a game changer. It's absolutely. It really is that simple.
0: It's true. Now we're, we're talking with Nicole Hutchison, who had gone to prison for something that she did. We're going to get to that here. And then completely turned her life around. And, and the important thing, too, is that most people are going to get out of prison. So what are you going to do? Turn your life around or not? So we'll get to that. But talk about what happened that particular night.
1: Uh, well, I was involved in a fatal drunk driving accident. And, you know, the the horrible tragedy of it is, is you know, the, the thinking of, well, it can't happen to me. You know, I've had a couple of glasses of wine. I've been out. I was at a charity event. I go home. I'm, you know, lonely. I call, and he actually is now my husband. He was my best friend of many, many years. And, you know, I get my stuff, my car, my, my dogs, everything together. I get in the car. <clears throat> I come around the corner. There's a, you know, multi-car accident. There's a sweet. Uh, street sweeper crew Um, somebody happens to be out of a vehicle that should not have been out of a vehicle we don't really know why Um, and unfortunately the accident happens and you know it's one of those things that you can't what if shoulda coulda woulda I was wrong I shouldn't have gotten in the car and all the stars aligned in the wrong way that night and ultimately you know that's what happened and it's a horrible tragedy And, you know, the bottom line is I am a a prime example of what happens when you just don't think and you don't think about a consequence and you make a decision that ultimately
0: changes so many people's lives. Now, the irony of this situation is, as you mentioned, the person had gotten out of their car. And had you been sober, had you hit the person in a sober state, you might not have been charged. I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't investigate. But if you're drunk, even if someone else is at fault, you're on the hook. And we're not trying to minimize the tragedy of it. We're just talking about the facts here.
1: That is correct. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely correct. And, and, you know, and it's one of those things where you have to just, and for me, especially to the way I'm built and my morals and my values, you have to just lay down. there there is no, for that family, for everybody involved, for my family, for everybody doing the right thing is to say, I was wrong. The facts don't matter. I I was wrong. And even if, so yes, that does change the dynamics. And that's what my point is to people, just even drinking and getting in a car, even if you're not uh, above the limit, you cannot get in a car and drink because God forbid something happens and you're not even at fault you just you you can't put yourself in that position and especially right. in this day and age when you know we are in such a, a society of you know rights and wrongs i mean just don't put yourself in that position right because and, you can't do you it know, and you
0: don't have time to react and that's the that's the the horrific thing so so we get that so you and I'll go- never know right yeah yeah you'll and never and know i
1: live with that and yeah. i live with that every day and i live with not knowing you know and and so the fir- you know that and I got to tell you, living with that—I mean, there was—it was a dark, dark period. I was on bond for three years. Um, the very beginning was the most, you know, horrific struggle. Um, you know, I was suicidal. I had the spirit of suicide on me that was just horrific. I—I um, I mean, it was to have that 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 burden, and to know that your actions you know caused that is something I, I, it's indescribable it's one of those things that you can't describe until you've been in that position and god i pray nobody's ever in that position right. um, it's terrible. And to know you you've affected people that way oh it's horrible and you know i'm not built that way i'm i'm a lover i'm a, i'm a giver I, that's just my nature and i wasn't raised that way and you know my choices and my decisions you know, created that. It's horrific, yeah. and um, you know, the and the state of Texas does not allow any interaction whatsoever with any victims of anything. So nobody in any any situation that there are any victims involved. And my argument is always with any crime, there's always a victim. I don't I don't care what it is, and so that's very difficult too because there is a process that if if you elect to go through um, as the family, you can, but um, that's very rare that that happens. So I went through an amazing program in the prison called Bridges to Life, and I'm partnered with them through my ministry, Rusty Diamond, and they're incredible, but they work through it, um, you know, through the prison ministry side of things, um, and they bring in, you know, speakers and things like that. So I was able to work through a lot of that um, within the the actual, um, you know, prison system, but it wasn't specific to what happened to me. You know, I worked with other people in other instances and other situations um, but, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's a very tough situation. Yeah, so absolutely. I hope that by my putting myself out there and saying, hey, here's what really happened, and, and I'll take the hits. You know what? I, okay, if that's what it takes for me to go, go out there and me to save and stop one person from making that choice and for me to at least get to one person to say, you know what? I hear you and, and think twice about it. And and maybe it to resonate. Or for one person to have healing. I offer myself to other families since I can't in my direct situation. You know, um, I just had a situation come up um, just two weeks ago. And that family was able to, you know, reach out. So, you know, I I just hope that in some way the legacy of it can be that, uh, you know, I can do some good and some positive with it and that at least the footprints you know going forward are of a positive one and you know somebody else can be impacted in a positive
0: way. That's important, we're speaking with Nicole Hutchison. Let's go back for a second before we get to what you're doing now. It's three years you were on bond, so you were in limbo from the time of the accident, right, until 2018, until you go to jail. What What is, let's just talk about you for a second, because I know your heart is with the victim and the family of the victim, but what is it like being on bond? You're stuck in limbo, I'm sure you can't work, people are talking about you in the media, uh, I don't know where you were living, what your situation was, those are things people don't think about talk a little bit about that
1: oh my mom um sorry my mom um actually had a a little accident herself she was starting to show signs of dementia and my beautiful mom she is an incredible woman I mean if I can just be half the woman that she was and her, her car battery or engine something stopped and she got out and she fell And she was never the same, and she ended up just going into the throes of dementia. She had Lewy body's dementia, which is a very rare form of dementia. And we were sick together. Um, Dad said, you know, hey, we don't want to bring in somebody else. And I said, you know what, God's done this. Let me take care of her. I, I need a job. I can't be out in the public right now. I was in complete, You know, everything was shut off. I had no social media, no, you know, I just shut down. I wasn't in hiding. I just knew I needed to just... Go, go underground and just be with, the, with God. I went through all these classes. I, I was very involved in my church. Um, I, it, just, it was a very quiet, uh, introspective time. I took the time to just really become my best self and really dig deep into a lot of things. I had had some childhood trauma from a mental health care facility that my parents had put me in thinking they were doing the right thing, and there was a lot of abuse there. It became one of the largest mental health care lawsuits still to this day. Um, in the 80s um, for a lot of stuff they did to us as kids and so I had never processed that you know my drinking had been problematic that had always been my go-to mask you know and it was one of those where I I, you know it wasn't all the time but then when I was struggling so you know here I was not only on bond and 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 wearing an ankle monitor and alcohol monitors and reporting and I'd never dealt with the court systems before and you know I didn't know what was going on and um, you know I also you know had it just, there was just so much going on. And then my mom, um, just watching her deteriorate from this beautiful, incredible woman to a wheelchair to bed bound and she passed and, um, you know, in my arms and we had had to move her into a facility and I moved into an apartment literally so I could walk across the street and roll her in her wheelchair back and forth to my apartment so we could have some normalcy, you know, changing her diapers, taking care of her, um, During that time, the man I was speaking of that had been my best friend for years, like 16 years, I realized the whole time God had been preparing me to be the loving wife to him, and yet I'd had these crazy marriages and this big career in corporate and all these things that I thought I'd been chasing and running after and, you know, realized that this life, you know, was not, right? I'd been chasing all the wrong things, and this man had been here this whole time. And he was there for me through all of this. He's actually the one that had picked me up from jail when I bonded out.
0: Now, that's a good friend. Now, ultimately, how long were you sentenced to prison? My sentence was 10 years. Wow.
1: Um, it was not, you know, a non-aggravated, um, which was a blessing. So, you know, a non-violent, non-aggravated 10 years. So, you know, I, that's what I did. I just prayed to God. I said, let's just, you know, make a deal, whatever plea deal. It was literally up to, you know, the last minute there. Um so, uh, you know, we just said, okay, and I just gave it to God. We knew that um, I could make a parole. Um, you know, we just hoped that everything I had done, I mean, I went to the the mad victim impact panels. I, you know, I tried to do everything I could do right. Um, you know, I, I I went to so many classes and courses and, you know, just really kept my head down and... Um, fortunately, all of that really helped me. I did um, the DWI program when I was in prison that 's why I met so many of these beautiful diamonds, these women that I still have today um, and i i I started the Rusty Diamond Network in two thousand and eighteen at dallas county uh, that 's where this was born and so I did the best time I could do and I made my first parole, so I ended up doing four hundred and fifty days um, in prison wow and yeah, and I, I made that first parole, which was just God's, God's blessing. Yeah, yeah,
0: he had other plans for you. So talk to me. You had mentioned something I read. Uh, I don't know if it was one of your tweets or something else I read about you. You were talking about how when you first got out of jail, the first shower that you took where people oh. weren't screaming. Okay, can you talk a little bit about that? Because those of us who've never been incarcerated, <clears throat> really, we can't get a feel for how crazy it is and how, I'm sure, how vicious women can be.
1: Yeah. Oh God. There's so many. But um, yeah, you know, Twitter's an interesting thing. My tweets are very different because you know the audience is very different on on Twitter. So sometimes my, you know, I, I throw some things out there. My husband's like, really. <laughs> um, but you know, it's because I want I want people to get some of the, the 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 true dirtiness of it. And you know, there's a lot of people that are are, are hugely involved in criminal justice reform. And, um, you know, there's a lot of extreme thoughts out there about it. Um, And they're true in regards to some of the things that go on in prison. And so I think you might have caught one of those tweets that I was kind of gearing towards that audience. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, the first shower I took that there weren't um, nasty, you know, feminine hygiene products throwing around and – you know, screaming and fighting. You know, fights were going to go down. It's when you're in the shower and girls would jump other girls. Wow. Um, you always have, you know, one eye open. There's no shower curtains. There's no privacy. There's no, um, so, yeah, you, I, like I tried to shower as least as possible. So my first shower here at home, literally grabbing the dogs, <laughs> putting the dogs. I miss my dogs. So I'm a huge dog lover. I did animal rescue for 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I would really miss if I were in prison. So talk about some of the other conditions.
1: You don't expect prison to be any type of, you know, nice, beautiful environment by any stretch. No, but but still. It has to be um, shocking to to see
0: how bad it really is and how evil people can really be. It was shocking. Yeah.
1: It was shocking. And, yeah, and and for as many beautiful women and the, the amazing women that I met, yeah, there's the element, too, of... You know, the gang violence, there's the element, too, of, you know, that's, that other side of the fence. But I'll tell you, you know, you kind of you stick to yourself. I carried my Bible everywhere, and I was known as Mama Diamond like I still am today. You know, like I sign on my, my Rusty Diamond Facebook page, everything that I sign, all my letters to the girls inside. You know, it's Mama Diamond. That's what everybody called me. And and you're respected. There you do in prison. There is a hierarchy. People kind of know who you are. My whole family was very worried about me going to prison. Like, you know, are you gonna get beat up? Right. I'm like, I got, I got this. I got, you know. And I was me. I just went in as me. I and honestly, I never really had fear. Um, You know, I had a couple of times in a kitchen. Um, where there were a couple I worked in a kitchen and there were a couple of scary moments and I'll tell you I had a couple of girls jump in front and they took care of it wow I was always a fight stopper um you know we lived in these dorms where there, you get you get 110 women in a dorm stuff's gonna go wrong and it did and you know I though didn't really have fear with the girls honestly my fear came from authority mm. my fear came from the guards and the way things happened there. I never had problems with the girls. The problems I always had was the interactions with the guards. Interesting. And that's what shocked me most, because I've always had, you know, um, you know, good interactions when I've been sober with police, and I've always had good interactions with authority, again, when I've been sober. Um, And you know i expected to go in and see authority like running things like a tight ship i mean i was so naive i was just so right. naive right and then you system. find out
0: people are doing favors with the correctional officers and all kinds of things i'm yes. sure a lot of that went on yeah
1: it was it, i was i was completely floored like my little you know brain just exploded with <laughs> how twisted well just like when it came time for my sentencing and and just like when I was going through everything I had no idea how twisted and broken and even now like I've got a girl who's got a 25 year sentence for marijuana it's her first sentence and you know she's now been denied her second time for parole and it's gummy bear but they weighed the whole gummy bear you know, so instead of the, the the real content and her husband's already out, they got arrested together. He made parole. She hasn't. Wow. She's had no disciplinary. Um, you know, so now I'm trying to find different groups to work with me to, you know, I've written parole letters for, you know, I mean, it's just this, there's no rhyme or reason. I mean, I am supportive of accountability and of a system in general. We've got to have order. Of course. We have to have, you know, or there is chaos. But we have got to change the way we treat our human beings in the prisons, and in especially pre-prison. We have to stop people from going in with deterring them with these programs. I we have to realize that yeah. we, we 95% of the people get out because they shouldn't, in a lot of instances, have gone in to begin with because we need to deter. And then on the outside, the reason they're going, 64% recidivism. do the math. Those numbers don't match. If 95% are getting out and 64% are are going back in,
0: hello? We're speaking with Nicole Hutchison of the Rusty Diamond Network. She helps women who have been in prison to rebuild their lives. What's the biggest need that you see after women get out of jail? Is it trying to help them stay sober? Is it trying to change their lives? Is it trying to help them find jobs? Uh, because obviously when you get out of prison, if you go back home to your dysfunctional family and your same loser friends, your life's not going to change. What do you see as the biggest need?
1: Yeah, usually playgrounds and playmates, as we call them, change. They usually do, are not going back to the same routine, believe it or not. It is because it, it, they need housing. Number one is an ID. Number one, believe it or not, is a state identification. They do not have ID. And in order to get, they're coming out with their offender ID. So their driver's license was either taken or confiscated during their crime they committed um, because most of the ones that, are, you know, I'm dealing with are some kind of substance. Um, and two, so they need to be able to cash their gate checks because they get, you know, $100 when they leave. They get 50 and then 50 at parole, and they need that money. So number one is having that ID so they can cash the check and then get a job. Every employer requires, except now I'm finding employers that are willing to use their state IDs. I'm making deals. But anyway, it's their ID, and then the second thing is housing. Jobs, we can find them jobs left and right, believe it or not. It's hard, but once you make, you know, these inroads with these employers, we're getting them jobs. But it's an ID and housing. Wow. Once we get those two things, then the jobs and the rest of the things we can usually find. And then clothing... I'm getting clothing. It's amazing. It's God's miracle. It's incredible. My neighborhood, this neighborhood app that I use, other things. I mean, I've got boxes being delivered here, left and right. I mean, all those things It's just incredible. People are rallying. They want to support these people, but it's the ID. So it's, it's again, a process that's broken within the prisons. These people come out with no identification
0: so interesting because there really is a lot of money in the revolving door of the prison system, but there's not, you know, the emphasis on the rehabilitation that there should be. How can people find out more about your organization? I'm so I'm so proud of you for what you're doing, Nicole, because you have turned something that could have been terrible. You could have crawled into a bottle, crawled into a hole, and just, uh, you know, been guilty the rest of your life, and, and you own your stuff, but you have to move on. You simply have no choice. You honor nobody by doing anything other than moving on with your life and making something of it. Uh, talk Talk to me about how people can reach your organization, how they can donate, and get involved.
1: Thank you, and I, I you know, I just have. I thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, rustydiamond.org is my website. And on there, you can look up the Rusty Diamond process. You can read my story. I've put it out there, you know, the whole story, Um, a little bit more about what we do. You can contact us there. There's actually a donate button, too. We're grassroots. We're self-funded. So there's a, a, a way to donate there. And then you can also go to Facebook. We've got a great community there. If you have been incarcerated or you have someone incarcerated, we have a private group there where everybody shares. The diamonds are a part of that, too. So it's a great place to share and and get help and resources. And then I'm on Twitter as well as Prison Diamond. That's always a fun one because we have some really spirited
0: conversations on Twitter. That's how you came Um, to my attention. I thought, who who is this girl? I (laughs) want to know more about her and I want to talk to her because I I love people who redeem lives. I'm so impressed with that. And there are some real heroes out there like you doing that. And that's so important because we can't just throw these people away. That's that's not going to work.
1: Well, I agree. And, you know, like I always say, I, you know, God's doing the work. I'm just the vehicle, you know. He's just pushing that right on through me. And, really, it's all about these diamonds. The diamonds are the network, and I'm just the bumper guards, you know. They're they're just going down the bowling lane, and I'm just kind of the bumper guards yeah. here. And it, it's just beautiful. Every day is such a new blessing, and I just really am so grateful that you reached out. And, and I also love what you're doing, too. I mean, we, you know, more of us need to realize that we can be supportive of this and be positive positive. And the more that we're positive about it is really how we affect change. When, when we're negative or when people just come out and say, oh, you've done time or, you know, you should be punished, you know, there is accountability. But the best way to turn that around is to say, you know what, yep that was wrong own that and let's do something about it and let's move forward because the beauty on the other side of that is tenfold the person that they were before they made that mistake and i'm seeing it every day and it is a miracle it is so beautiful
0: it is a miracle nicole hutchison rusty thanks for being here great talking to you and and keep in touch with me and thank god for what you're doing thank you so much heidi thanks. blessings to you Isn't that great? I wanted to talk to her because she's making a positive difference in the world. And with all the negativity, you know, the fact is most people are going to get out of the criminal justice system. And when they get back in society, they need to have their lives changed or it doesn't help any of us. Right. Right. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget that you can join me for my live radio show, weekday morning, 6 to 9 on AM 670 KMZQ. If you forget all that, go to HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. <laughs>